my life would be complete. Perhaps you do. Perhaps you do. I don't know. We were on holiday um, a couple of weeks back. We, we got a last-minute, all-inclusive deal to Lanzarote, and it was great just to get away. Um, but talking to people in a hotel, you know, as you do when you're on holiday, you get chatting to people. And we were talking to various people, and um, it became clear that for some people, this holiday was the be-all and end-all. This was the pinnacle of their life. Their life revolved around an annual trip away and turning eating desserts into an Olympic sport. That was the pinnacle of people's existence. We've heard a lot about ladies' groups and ladies' weekends, but those of you who were on the men's weekend that took place a few weeks ago will have heard Nick Page. And one thing that he said, he told a story of a man who all his life had dreamed of becoming a high court judge. This was his aspirational thing. This was what he dreamed of becoming. He got there. He became a high court judge. Within a few weeks of reaching that pinnacle of his career, his life started to fall apart. He turned to alcohol and became an alcoholic. The thing that he was chasing after, the dream that he was chasing after, didn't fulfill him. It wasn't enough. And you know, material stuff will never be enough, will it? Whether it's the cupboard that you're after, whether it's the all-inclusive holiday that you're dying to go on, or whether it is that pinnacle of your career, it will never be enough. Because God has made us for so much more than material things. God has called us into relationship with himself. And so today we start a new sermon series, and we're going to be looking at the theme of discipleship what it means to follow on after Jesus. And following on from the Sermon on the Mount, which is really all about discipleship as well, we're we're just sort of carrying on this theme, but drilling down into specific passages of Scripture. What does it mean to follow Jesus? Our world talks a lot about following, doesn't it? You may go on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook, and you may follow people. But it tends to be a bit of a passive following not an active following. We don't actually do things often. You may follow all kinds of people and you're just slightly interested in what's going on. What we'll see this morning is following Jesus is something of a totally different nature. As we go through this series, many of our small groups will be looking at the same material as well, the same Bible passages. So if you're not in a small group, can I encourage you to to think about joining one? Go and speak to me or go and speak to Chris. Chris, just give us a wave. I don't think Will's in this morning. Um, but also speak to Will if you want to be part of a small group. So if you've got a Bible in front of you, if you want to turn to Matthew chapter 4, I'm going to start reading at verse 12 down to 22, but we're actually going to really be looking at verses 18 to 22 in a few moments. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which is by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of of heaven has come near. 
As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Let's pray together, shall we? Lord Jesus, this morning, as we look at what it means to follow you, just really pray that you will give us your inspiration, your heart. Pray that we will be a people who are obedient to your call. Lord, just open these words to us, we pray, by your Holy Spirit. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This passage is actually a really straightforward one. It's one of these passages, as a preacher, you read through it and think, is there anything complex going on here? And actually, the answer is really no. It's really simple. There's a bit of a joke, as John has already pointed out. Um, but it's really straightforward. But it's incredibly profound. What Jesus calls us to is incredibly profound. In all its simplicity, and I think Matthew wants it to be simple, there is the call of Jesus to follow him. Before we say anything else, let's just pause there for a moment. I don't know if that bowls you over, the fact that Jesus is seeking out people to follow him. Jesus wasn't sat there philosophizing, and all these people came to hear what he had to say. It's the other way around. Jesus goes out looking for people. This is the gracious call of God. God desiring relationship with people. Because Jesus is God. This is what is going on here. This is the gracious invitation of Jesus to come after him and to come and follow him. And Jesus has been preaching, and that's why I read the bit before in verse 17. It says, From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. John the Baptist had taken this message out, this message of repent, for the kingdom of God has come near. And what that message really means is repent means all about turning your life around to live in God's way. Saying no to all that stuff that perhaps we've done out of selfish motives and actually putting our lives back in the way that God wants it to be. The kingdom of heaven is about God's rule and reign breaking in to our experience. John the Baptist had been preaching that and then Jesus takes up exactly the same message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then we get to verse 18, and Jesus is out walking beside the sea. And he calls his first two disciples. And he calls them to follow. don't know if you've heard it said, but if you want to know if you're a leader, the question to ask is, are the people following you? Have people bought into whatever it is that, that you're offering? It may be that you're in the business world, and you're, you're selling something, and you're the leader in that area. And if people are following you, that's, that's great. You are proving that you are a leader. But leadership in our world is very highly valued, isn't it? Thinking at schools, we, we have sort of the leadership stream, trying to, to get young people to take on leadership responsibilities. We have leadership conferences that you could go to practically every day of the week if you wanted to. TED Talks online on leadership, books on how to lead. 
Did anyone watch the, the House of Commons debate about Syria when Syria had been bombed? I don't know if you, if you saw any of the clips from it, but one objection that kept getting raised against the Prime Minister was, you're doing Trump's work for him. You're not the leader, you're the follower. You've been told what to do, and you're getting in line behind the US President. And it was being pointed at the Prime Minister as an accusation of weakness. On Twitter the other day, somebody was commenting on Piers Morgan. I'm sure we all follow Piers Morgan. No, no problem. And they were saying, why should people listen to you? Why do people care what you have to say? And he actually responded and he said, wait a minute, I have 6.48 million followers. People do care what I have to say. People are listening. And we're fed the line, aren't we, I think, by society. That actually, it's good to have followers. It's good to be a leader. But actually, the reverse isn't always true. It's not good to be the follower. It's not good to be the one who goes after somebody else. And then Jesus walks past. You know, Jesus is always walking past us, calling us, calling our name, calling us to follow, just as he did on the Sea of Galilee. Simon, Peter, and Andrew were out fishing. This was their job. This is what they did. This was normal for them. This was everyday stuff. They there to fish. Presumably, they ate some of the fish, sold the rest to provide a roof over their head. Life was probably really simple for them, but probably quite tough as well. I can't imagine um, being a fisherman on the Sea of Galilee was an easy life. You probably didn't make a lot of money from it, but they were just everyday people. Jesus didn't go to Herod and the Roman authorities and call them first, but he went to the ordinary people, people like you and me who were just getting on with life. And he says, come and follow. They were people whose life was all about material things. Their goal in life was fish. That was it. That was what they were after. That is what would keep them going. You know, today, the goals for many of us will probably have changed. Anyone here a fisherman? I don't mean a recreational fisherman, but anyone earn a living from fishing? I'm not really surprised because there's no sea around here. <laughs> Might be a bit tough if you're using the dam to get your livelihood out of. But actually, this kind of material way of looking at life, you know, the way that the things that you're after are just material stuff, is the way that most people live, isn't it? The vast majority of people in the UK, the vast majority of people in the Western world, live life with a material existence. They aspire to storage, to the new cupboard, to the holiday, to whatever ladder it is they want to climb, the career ladder, the housing ladder, the car ladder, whatever ladder they're trying to climb. But you know, the tragedy is, as this life draws to a close, material stuff is of absolutely no use whatsoever. It ends as we end. But here are two brothers, fishing, and Jesus comes past. Had they heard of him? Quite possibly. He's been out teaching. He's been um, preaching in that area. Did they know anything much more than that about him? We know Matthew doesn't give us that information. But I find it unlikely that they know a lot about Jesus. They know possibly who he is, and they see him walking. Because we're surprised at what happens. I don't know about you, but if you read this passage and you think, would you have gone after Jesus? Would you have dropped everything to follow him at this point? Would you have done that? Would I have done that? But verse 19, he says, Come follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. We'll, we'll come back to the fishing for people bit in a minute. 
But look at what Jesus says. Come, follow me. He doesn't say, come and lead with me. Nor does he say, come and be a person of influence with me. Nor does he say, come and amass your own following in my name. Nor does he say, come and use my name and turn yourself into whatever you want to be and put me at the head of it and I will, I will be there with you. He simply says, follow me. Follow me. The literal meaning in the, in the Greek of those, that word, those words, follow me, is a bit stronger than it is in English. You know, we think of following as possibly a little bit passive, but actually this word, these words here mean actively get behind me and do the kinds of things that I'm doing. There's almost a military type of instruction to it. Get behind, follow, be the kind of person that I am. So what does this mean for us today? What does it mean for us? Jesus is still calling, I believe, each one of us daily to follow him. That call keeps going out. These two men knew very little about Jesus. They had not been to read theology at Oxford. They had not been on Alpha or Christianity Explored. They had no concept of where this following might end. They just got up and followed. There was something about Jesus that compelled them to follow. You see, for us as a church, for us as individuals, if we want to talk about discipleship, it has to start here at the Sea of Galilee. It has to start as we answer that question, that really simple call of Jesus. Following Jesus doesn't always end simply. And as they go through Jesus' life, as they go through his ministry, the next three years they will have all their thinking challenged. Everything about what they've thought about reality will be challenged and changed. Jesus will have an awful lot to say about how they live their lives. The Sermon on the Mount, we saw that. Jesus will have an awful lot to speak into their lives. They would have to grapple with things, like what does it mean to be born again by the Holy Spirit? And this road of discipleship would lead them to the cross of Calvary, to watch Jesus crucified. You know, there is no road of discipleship that doesn't lead us to the foot of Calvary, where we see Jesus dying for our sin and for the sins of the world. This road of discipleship would also lead them to that joy on Resurrection Day when they'd stand and see the risen Christ among them. The journey of discipleship has to encounter that incredible hope. And today, if we're choosing to say yes to Jesus, it has to be the Jesus that we see in the Bible. See, many people over the years have made Jesus to be their own version of him. I like this quote. This is from Chris Candier. He says, The name of Jesus seems to be easily co-opted into whatever system, campaign or crisis that needs a mascot or a justification or a swear word. Jesus is co-opted by both Republicans and Democrats, capitalists and socialists, ascetics and gluttons appeal to him as one of their own. Soldiers pray to him and pacifists appeal to his example. Jesus' radical commands about sharing possessions have been the grist to the mill for communist revolutionaries. At the same time, his birthday is used as the engine for consumer capitalism's biggest sales opportunity. You see, we need to be transformed by Jesus, don't we? We can't have Jesus that is in our own image, in our own making. The Bible doesn't allow to do that, us to do that. The Jesus we follow has to be the Jesus that we see out of the pages of Scripture. And it's right and it's appropriate that we grapple with all those things. We'll be doing some of that tonight. We do it on a week-by-week basis, don't we, in church? 
But it has to start simply. It has to start by the sea. When we say, are we going to say yes to that question? Follow me. See, being a disciple of Jesus isn't about getting all the complicated stuff sorted out first before we make a highly educated decision. But it's about coming face to face with Jesus and saying, what's our response? Yes or no? It's easy to talk about leadership. It's easy to talk about being people of influence. Do you know, since you've got up today, it's likely that two books on leadership will have been published. There are four books on leadership published every single day of the year. There are very few books published on following. There are very few books published on how to actually get in line behind Jesus. See, as a church leader, and actually this part of me doesn't like the word leader when associated with anything in church, because we're not actually leaders in the sense that as church leaders we're trying to get you to do what we want. The job of the church leader is always to get us behind what Jesus is doing. And that is the job of all of us, is to say, are we getting behind Jesus? Are we radically following the one who calls us? See, following will mean sacrifice, won't it? Following will mean dislodging the right to our own futures, to shaping it. It will mean an agenda that is not an ordinary one. But actually it's following someone who is God's son. Following God himself. It won't end in disappointment. Not like following human beings. But it will end in eternity with us face to face with our saviour. Let's move on to look at what Jesus also says about sharing. You know that song we sung before, and I'm going to wreck this song for all of you now. I will make you fishers of men. As a kid, I used to sing that song. Um, I thought it was written in 1927. That is quite old, isn't it, for a song? Um, But I used to think, why are we singing this song that God wants to make us vicious old men? (laughs) We could sing it again and you'd be able to listen to it. That's how it actually sounds when you were singing it before. Why does God want to do that in my life and in my heart? I could never get my head around that. But anyway, that's beside the point. But something actually far more important than singing about vicious old men was something that I noticed this week that I'd never noticed before. Now, you'll probably think, oh, you should have noticed this before. Jesus' first words to his disciples in Matthew's Gospel, uh, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of people. Basically, follow me, and share me. What are the last words that Jesus says to his disciples in Matthew's Gospel? Well, it's a bit of an expanded version, but it's essentially the same thing. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. The disciples had learned a lot. Jesus could go into more complicated language by this point. But actually, the essence is the same. Be obedient, follow me, and share the good news. We make it so complicated, don't we? When all that stuff in the middle has happened, the call remains the same. Follow me and share what I am and what I've done. In between those two sets of words... It's Jesus' ministry, healings, deliverance, the journey to the cross, resurrection, being confronted with teaching that will turn their lives upside down. But after all that has been digested, 
The call remains. Follow and share. See, what Jesus does in saying, will you share me? Will you become fishers of people? Is offer them a new reality. Life is not just about material things. There is a lot more to life than fish. There is a lot more to life than a new cupboard or a holiday or whatever ladder it is you're trying to climb. There are people to be introduced to Jesus. There's a whole world out there who at the moment is rejecting Jesus, who needs to hear this amazing good news, the gracious call of God to them. I wonder sometimes, do we lose sight of how simple what we've been told to do by Jesus is? It's very simple, isn't it? In essence, it is very simple. Follow and share. There is something greater. Something greater that we can be part of. Be part of God's kingdom purposes. doesn't mean that life is going to be plain sailing to carry on with the boat thing. But it's actually a life that is worth living. Because it's a life that outlasts everything that this life has to offer. Something else happens, though, to the disciples, and their life becomes quite disrupted. Our dog is five tomorrow. I don't think we'll be having great celebrations, but that's the the fact, is she is five. Um, Before we had a dog, we had a cat. And we were a bit of a loss at what to call this cat, but because he was male, we we opted for the original name of Tom. Um, And this cat lived to be 12. And he was quite an interesting character. In many ways, he was more like a dog than a cat. And our dog is more like a cat than a dog, if that makes any sense. Um, But what he would do is, basically, he would look after himself. Apart from us giving him food, he would do a lot of the other stuff himself. If he wanted attention, he would come and sit on our knee. If he didn't want attention, he would go and sit with his back to the wall. He was just looked after himself. He didn't really disrupt our life a great deal. Our dog, however... Come rain or shine, she needs walking. If you don't walk her, she literally is climbing the wall by the end of the day. Was it um, Tuesday or Wednesday this week when it just rained incessantly all day? And I was thinking, surely, you know, sometimes it rains all day and then close up in the evening. Surely this will happen. I'll walk the dog in the evening. By seven o'clock, half past seven, it was still raining. And I got to the point where I was thinking, wellies, raincoat, round the dam. I was disrupted. My life was disrupted by the dog. She also disrupted sometimes at 5 a.m. in the morning when she decides we need to know that the pheasant, there's a pheasant that's living around here at the moment, a very inconsiderate bird. But at 5 o'clock in the morning, sometimes it decides to to greet the dawn with with some song. And our dog decides to add to that and let us know. (laughs) Disrupts us, disrupts our life. Verse 21, Jesus meets two more people, James and John, again, two brothers. And... They're doing the same thing. They're getting ready to go fishing with their father. They've got their nets ready. Their boat is ready. They're about to go. And then the call of Jesus comes. Look what they leave behind. Their father, their boats, their family, their security. All to follow this man who they don't know a great deal about at this point. Now, they haven't abandoned all those things. And as the Gospels go through, we get the odd reference to the disciples' families, and actually after the resurrection, they go out fishing. They haven't totally abandoned this. But actually, it is no longer the priority. It is no longer the greatest call over their lives. Something greater than fish is now 
on the horizon. For these brothers, life will never, ever be the same again. See, following Jesus causes disruption. In the best possible way, it causes disruption. It causes disruption to those kinds of things that perhaps we think we should be doing. We can't follow Jesus and be serious about it without it disrupting our lives. Now, disruption, we probably tend to think of as a bit of a negative word, so let's just make it a little bit more positive. You know, if we think of Jesus as a a tag-on to life, I don't know if you shop on Amazon, but sometimes on Amazon you get these add-on items that you can only have when you've got everything else in your basket, and then you click on it and it goes as the add-on. You know, sometimes I think we're tempted to treat Jesus like that, that Jesus becomes this sort of add-on item. We've got the rest of our life sorted, and now we have the add-on, which is like our eternity sort of card that we, we just sort of stick on there, and Jesus offers us eternal life. Now, it's absolutely true. When we follow Jesus, when we believe on his name, we are saved. But look what Paul has to say. Oop. Don't know what happened there. I'm getting a sneak preview. He says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Paul is not saying you can reach your salvation or you can get salvation through works. He's not saying that at all. That's not what he's on about. But what he's saying is work out the fact that you've now been saved through following Jesus means to your everyday life. Work out what it means. I like this quote that you've just seen. It's not working now. There we go. A relationship with God that doesn't change your life isn't really a relationship with God. A relationship with God, if we claim to have that, yet we're not being transformed day by day. We're we're not becoming more like Jesus, and we're not allowing our lives to be disrupted by Jesus. We have to ask those questions about what that relationship is all about. If we say yes to Jesus today, perhaps that's the first time you may have ever said it, our lives will become disrupted as we follow him. Priorities will change. The things that matter to us will change. If you've been following Jesus for a number of years, and I know there are many of us here who've been committed to that journey of discipleship, perhaps for 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years, has your life and is your life continuing to be disrupted? Has Jesus changed our priorities? Has he changed my way of thinking about my own self-worth? How we spend time, how we spend money, what kind of relationships we involve ourselves in? Following Jesus is never about just an intellectual exercise. It's never about sort of saying, oh yes, now my worldview has changed. But it's saying actually everything has changed. The whole priorities of my heart and my life and my mind have changed. Look at this passage from Luke chapter 9. Then he said to another man, follow me. Lord, the man replied, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, let the dead bury their own dead. You, however, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me bid farewell to my family. Then Jesus declared, no one who puts his hand to the plow and then looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. See, I think Jesus makes it abundantly clear, and it's immensely challenging to me, as I'm sure it is to all of us. Following him is an either all or nothing exercise. Following him is about our whole lives given over to him, or we're not really doing what he's asked us to do. Now, this can sound really quite harsh, can't it? 
the way that Jesus speaks here. But I think what he's actually doing is saying, you know, look, we can all make excuses for why we're not really following Jesus. We can all make excuses for why our life of discipleship isn't quite how we think it should be. Do you find yourself making excuses in life generally? I was talking to Claire and we were sort of thinking, our, our boys do this quite often. You know, you say, go and tidy your room. Yes, I will, but first let me finish watching whatever it is on the telly. Go and do this. Yes, I will, but first let me do this, that or the other. As adults, we all do it, don't we? You may even do it in your relationship with Jesus. Lord, I will give you everything, but first let me make sure my pension fund is big enough so that I can then give you everything. And we put an excuse in there. Lord, I will give you everything once I've achieved all my dreams and all the things that I want to do first. Lord, I will give you everything, but not this. And we can perhaps fill in that blank in our own hearts. It might be a house, our car, a particular habit. It might be money, it might be sex, it might be whatever. We can fill in the blank. Because that actually at the moment is still too precious to me to hand over. So I want to leave you just with the question that Jesus leaves us with. It's only two words. But it's a question how we answer it changes everything. Jesus says, come, follow me. Come, follow me. What's your answer? What's your answer? Let's pray.